0: Hello, thank you for joining us for this discussion on teaching Latin America in Scotland. I'm Jordan Buchanan and I'm grateful to be able to talk with Patience Shell, Jake Blanc and Julie Gibbings today about their experiences of working in Scotland as Latin Americanists. We're going to discuss the reasons for coming to Scotland, how their experiences have progressed, as well as the major challenges and benefits of teaching on this region that is often overlooked. And forgotten in the public consciousness and the undergraduate history curriculum. So thank you for agreeing to take part and share your personal experiences with us. Could you briefly introduce yourself for our audience, starting with Julie?
1: Hi, um, well, my name is obviously Julie Gibbings. I'm a lecturer here at the University of Edinburgh, and I work on 19th and 20th century Central America, particularly um, Guatemala, though I'm also hired into a position that's history of the Americas more broadly. So I've kind of focused my work out much more generally than that. Um, yeah, I recently published a book um, called Our Time is Now, Race and Modernity in the Making of Postcolonial Guatemala. And I'm working on a new project on Cold War cartography in the region. Excellent. Uh,
2: Jake, could you go next? Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, my name's uh, Jake Blanc. I'm a lecturer also at the University of Edinburgh in the same uh, School of History Classics and Archaeology as Julie. Uh, my, my research in, is mostly on 20th century Brazil. Uh, I teach also classes on human rights and, and memory and environmental history and borderlands. Um, a few years ago, I published my first book uh, on the history of rural mobilizations and the construction of the, the largest hydroelectric dam um, in the world at the time. Uh, and I have uh, some new work coming out on a rebellion in the 1920s and an interior history of Brazil and also a biography of a human rights activist and former political prisoner in Brazil. Great. Uh, patience, could you round us off?
3: Um, I'm Patience Shell. I'm Chair in Hispanic Studies at the University of Aberdeen. Um, I work mostly on 19th and 20th century Mexico and Chile and I'm interested in history of science, history of collections, um, education, eugenics, gender history, a wide range of of topics and lately I have finally had the time to start um, indulging my passion of almost probably more than a decade now, which is focusing on the Manual de Urbanidad by Manuel Antonio Carreño. And so I've I've really started looking at um, the way in which this uh, etiquette guide has changed over uh, since 1853, its original publication. I'm having a lot of fun with that.
0: Excellent. And uh, I mean, the first question is, why did you come to Scotland to teach Latin American history? I think we're going chronological order of arrival, so uh, patience if you could start us off.
3: I was thinking you might be going in another kind of chronological order. <laughs> um, I I've been in the UK since I did my uh, PhD, so I've I've been in the UK since I started my postgrad, and I worked in England before that, and I moved up to Scotland in 2012, and it's been a fantastic. Um, fantastic working at the University of Aberdeen. I think for me, the thing that has been most appealing about being in Scotland compared to England is the four year undergraduate program and the way in which there's greater um, choice for students in those first two years. So I think they get greater breadth and depth of education. And in the language degrees, our students are actually with us for five years generally. So you get a lot of time to really get to know your students well and see them develop over the years. And that's so fulfilling.
2: Uh, I think Jake will arrive next. Uh, yeah, Jordan, I wish I, I had a more moralistic reason to get you here. Uh, I, I took the job in Scotland because it was the only one that was offered to me uh, when I went on the job market. So for all our listeners out there on the academic market, life can be fortuitous. Um, so it was it was complete happenstance. I guess not complete happenstance. There was a, enough of a fit between what I do and what the department was looking for. Um, but in full honesty, prior to applying for the job, it, uh, you know, Scotland had not really been on my radar and for, you know, reasons we can get into later in this conversation, it's, it's, it's been absolutely uh, fantastic and a really nice fortuitous twist. Great. I thought that would be the,
0: the most likely outcome for many people in the academic market. Uh, Julie, how about yourself?
1: Thanks. Yeah. Um, well, I came just here in, in, in September of 2019, so I haven't been very long. Um, but, you know, I think for me, Edinburgh was also a great choice in terms of, you know, I mean, this is stuff about academic job markets and the difficulties of that. But um, Edinburgh was also a great fit because we did have and have a very quickly expanding program in Latin American history. Um, and Latin American studies more broadly, and I think one of the strongest, emerging to be one of the strongest programs in the UK. Um, so that uh, combined with, you know, it's a really fantastic department and an amazing city to live in, um, and that it has all these kinds of interesting opportunities. So, um, yeah, a little of all of that.
0: Um, I mean, I'm quite interested in this idea of the University of Edinburgh developing. Uh, kind of specialism in Latin America. How is that going and like, how are they driving it? I guess that's directed to both of you, Jacob and Julie. Uh,
2: well, I, I'll, I'll go first, Julie. That's okay in the sense that so when I started in fall of 2017, uh, Edinburgh, we had no Latin Americanists. Um, I believe about five years prior, we had had um, a Latin Americanist, Uh, then she she moved on to Warwick. Um, And so there was a total blank slate for for curricula. So that was uh, a little daunting at first uh, for me to try to figure out, okay, how will Latin America be taught at this, you know, giant university? Um, And, you know, I I think the first few years uh, was fun and built a lot of excitement. The, The classes that I was teaching, on you know on, on, on human rights and Brazil um, attracted a certain type of student that was then going to be very excited about you know those kind of more social and political themes uh, of study and then over the next few years we got really lucky where uh, we actually didn't have another explicit Latin America search that we ran but the my first year we uh, we were hiring someone uh, for I think it was just an early modern position and it ended up, Um, getting filled by our colleague uh, Meha Priyadarshini who works on Colonial Mexico with trade with the Pacific world Um, and then the following year we are hiring an Indigenous Americas um, and that could have been you know anywhere in you know the the American Hemisphere North and South America or Central America and we were so lucky to get Julie right it just as easily could have been someone who works on First Nations in Canada or you know and all of those things would have been fantastic also but from the Latin America program we're really lucky to all of a sudden go you know within a Spanish three years from having no one who works on uh you know Spanish or Lusophone speaking Latin American the Caribbean because we did have colleagues who work on the British Caribbean um all of a sudden to having a a core with three Um, so this is it has been very exciting and it seems like it's been building on itself again um for the for several years now. Excellent, (laughs) do you have anything to add there? Julie?
1: No, not really. I think that that's that, you know, sort of encapsulates it that we've been really fortunate to have a uh, congruence of factors and also to be developing more relations with other people over in the Spanish languages and literatures uh, department. And they've also had some new hires as well. Um, so, yeah, I think we've got a, a bit of momentum there to build upon, um, yeah. particularly in thinking about um, postgraduate programs. Um, and
0: stuff as well so yeah I mean I'm very hopeful that Latin America takes off a little bit more in Scotland as an undergraduate there it wasn't an option between 2015-2019 University of Dundee it still isn't an option at that university but hopefully uh, this is you know going to grow um, and I was wondering patients how does that contrast with your experience in Aberdeen
3: I'm in a language department and it's a small department we're, we're Spanish only we don't do lusophone Um, or indigenous languages. Um, And obviously, in a small department, one of the drawbacks is that, you know, you're you're kind of multitasking in a way in which you're not specializing, you're able to specialize more in a larger department. But the upside of that, from our students' point of view, is they get we get to know them very well. They get to know us really well. So it's a really friendly, supportive environment. And as I said earlier, just seeing the students develop over the years is really satisfying. And as a historian, I've been in language departments my whole career. And the big advantage for me has been um, that I can interpret what i do really broadly so basically i can teach what i want when i want i mean obviously there are some some restrictions but you know i I, i've taught um history of science i'm i'm teaching a new course on um testimonial and chronicle narratives Uh, i teach women's history um I've taught the history of kind of the Atlantic world revolutions broadly conceived and nobody says, oh, you can't do that or you can't do that because that's someone else's patch or that doesn't fit in with how we understand um, the discipline. So it's that breadth of what I'm able to do that I think has been a real advantage and you know, really satisfying in, in working at Aberdeen. And my, my colleagues are equally broad. So I think although we're a small department in, in what we're able to offer our students, they come out still with a good breadth and depth of knowledge.
0: That sounds fantastic to have so much uh, freedom to, to explore. Um yeah and it adds such great depth to knowledge. What did each of you expect when I guess more for Julie and Jake actually because you know the patients was already here in the UK. What did you expect when coming to teach in Scotland, uh, and how does that progressed? Uh, Julie, if you want to start off.
1: Um, yeah, sure. I mean, so I think, you know, I didn't know exactly what to expect, if I'm totally honest. I come from teaching at a Canadian institution, um, and so unlike being in the United States, where people have a, a stronger sense of Latin American history, I'd already been in a place that... You know, Latin America may have been seemed a bit more distant um, from the national narratives and and how people thought and taught and and even Spanish language skills. Like in the United States, a lot of people have um, basic Spanish, whereas in the UK as yes, well as Canada, you know, it's a more rare commodity. <laughs> and um, so, so um, I, I don't know that if I had too many expectations. I thought that I might be coming into a situation um, quite rightly thinking that people wouldn't have, you know, those broad narratives um, in which to insert Latin American history and that there'd be a lot of kind of groundwork um, to build upon, and that it would also be partly about connecting Latin American experiences and histories to broader questions um, that are of interest, um, such as decoloniality or race, for example, um, two themes that I kind of work on. And so um, I think that that was that was part of it. I kind of already had this knowledge that things would be a little bit different, um, and that and that was that was the case. I think.
2: Jacob, yeah, was that a similar experience for you? Uh, yeah so I like to I had no expectations but not just because I had not been to Scotland before but because this was my first position after getting uh, my PhD so I was I was a blank slate and a kind of a, a, a wide eyed greenhorn uh, from a lot of different perspectives um, but something that uh, I'd kind of been told about in, in advance and something that I found to be very true was that even though most of my students had very little uh, background in in Latin America, uh, by virtue of you know their their studies at secondary school and the, the way that the, the UK university system works they were all really good historians or at least good historians in training so I found that that made my job a lot easier because even if they didn't have the background or the context right that, that's my job I can talk them through this but the larger skills building which is still part of my job and what we all do um, but of having them think critically and you know and dissect texts they were already pretty good at that. Um, some of them were actually incredibly good at that. And so, for you know, uh, a young starting lecturer to get here and not only have to figure out you know her, his own pedagogy and you know how to interact with students and figuring out what type of familiarity they have with the region, it helped a lot that some of the core basic skills of what we were going to be working on, continue to work on, uh, were already in place. And so I was very, very thankful, uh, like, you know, patients had already said that they had had two years, you know, at the the pre-honors level already to get kind of those skills even more sharp.
0: (laughs) And uh, patients coming up from England, what was the expectation for Scotland?
3: Oh, gosh. To be honest, more of my expectations were about Scotland as a place rather than Scottish universities and the difference. Um, Some of the appeal has has been in retrospect, having left England and realizing what pressure the three year degree put us under as teachers, but also put our students under. And I really I felt for my students who would come to me at the end of their first year or sometimes even later and say, this isn't the degree for me. And there was very little I could do to help them beyond saying, well, you're going to have to repeat some years. Um, whereas now I'm able to say, well, let me think about this and we can look at this and you know, we can make this work for you. And it just, I really I do feel that that very narrow education forces people down a path they're not necessarily ready for and narrows down options before people have had a chance to, to look at it, uh, You know, look at a variety of things that they might not have even known they were interested in. Um, so I, I, I think that's, that's been really fantastic um, and I just like living in Scotland.
0: And, uh, what have the major challenges been for teaching Latin America in these Scottish universities, uh, starting with you patients?
3: I think as Julie and Jake were saying, um, my students don't have a lot of experience of Latin America or a lot of um, pre well, they do have preconceived notions sometimes, but not necessarily based on um, study and, and uh, you know, uh, kind of reflection and, and thoughtful, historical, contextual understanding of, of the region and its differences as well. So a lot of our students, um, they're very focused on Spain. Um, and I think for some of them, the idea of a year abroad in Latin America is really quite anxiety producing because it's so far away. And there's the sense of, of you know, if you're in Spain and something goes wrong, you can fly home for the weekend. Um, whereas if you're in Mexico or Argentina and something goes wrong, it, it, big or small, um, it, it's a different situation. So I, I think for one thing, it's just kind of introducing students to Latin America and and, and showing them why um, it's worth thinking about and understanding. And one of the things I've really been interested in doing myself intellectually is looking at connections. So I, I've designed a new first year course where I teach um about what I call it Iberia and the Americas but I'm trying to look at themes that cross these these geographic boundaries and and try and get students to see the way in which ideas and people circulated and and concepts resurface and and kind of get reappropriated or or used in a new way. Um so yeah, I think a lot of what I do is just try and help students Uh, see Latin America as as an area of interest for them in in a range of ways both academically but also um kind of more uh thinking about how how they might want to to consider it for their year abroad and then after that some of them come back and want to consider it in in other ways for for career options or or perhaps to go and live.
0: I mean it's a fantastic opportunity that at the University of Aberdeen you can go on an exchange to Latin America wasn't one of the options for me, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, hopefully we can continue to build those connections. Um, Jake, how's the how have the challenges been for you since being in Scotland?
2: Um, I think one of the challenges was. Learning to kind of lean into the preconceived notions that students have, right, because the extent to which that they did know about Latin America, it was probably, you know, for a few kind of headline making type awarenesses um, and leaning into that by, by that, I mean, using that to say, okay, that's not wrong right the things that you are tangentially aware of whether it's you know violent dictatorships you know during the cold war or you know football or you know like these you know extravagant amazing mexican muralists all these things that you immediately think of but you might not think past right let's use that as a starting point and both kind of you know interrogate why those are the only things that we happen to know about this place even if we do. And to the second point, then using that as a way to understand the deeper histories underneath that. Um, and, you know, particularly, you know, kind of, as I've mentioned before, the types of courses that I tend to teach at the honors level attract a certain type of student, right? These are my the students who are, you know, campus activists, they're involved with Amnesty International, right? So they're already thinking about global solidarity. And so that's great. It makes it really, really fun for me to teach these classes. That's also how I got into studying Latin America. but then the goal is also to show you know, the, the larger histories that might not seem as immediately interesting to them and say, okay, this is why we need to study the colonial period. This is why we need to study you know, the 18th and 19th century to understand how we get to these points that then are gonna be more exciting and you're gonna to wanna to write all your papers about, but we, we have to see all of that together. So kind of playing with preconceived notions almost as a pedagogical tool. Yeah I think this uh,
0: preconceived notion is quite a, a common experience uh probably the same when teaching in the USA as well but I always say when I talk to my friends about Latin America there's more to it than Cancun and cocaine uh you know there's a, there's a much deeper and interesting history in there um but yeah Julie how about yourself what've been the major challenges teaching this uh this topic
1: Yeah yeah I mean I think um like everyone said uh Pre- previously, you know, the, the to think about the preconceived notions and, you know, sort of. Uh, an awareness of Latin America, but not a really deep understanding of the, the broader narratives and processes at play, um to to move beyond the narcos, right? <laughs> like what people have consumed on on television and, and elsewhere in social media about the region. Um, and you know, y- using those as moments to to kind of deepen the understanding and also to connect the region um, thematically, I think to larger processes that they've um, that they are also aware of. So um, thinking about, like, decolonizing research methods and what that means for um, for the discipline and for broader thinking about broader processes that we're, you know, dealing with also in the UK with, around monuments and questions of race. And, you know, Latin America has so much, such a rich history there um, and such a rich historical um and like practice around it, scholarship, whether that's testimonial or collaborative research practice or activist research, that I think that those angles also provide students with new ways to think about um, things that are relevant to them outside of Latin America as well, and to shed new light on other things that they see within, within Scotland itself. Um, and so, even just thinking about global capitalism, you know, you like place the Latin American narrative into that. Uh, really, I think helps students to see things in a new light as well.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I, I remember reading an essay by Eric Hobsbawm on in his book on or post on his book on Latin America, and talking about how by looking at Latin America, what you expect to see does not normally play out, and it helps understand. These concepts and practices uh, around the rest of the world. You know, Hobbes was a European, global European scholar, but found unique and original uh, insight from looking at Latin America, and I think that's you know a great thing for students that study anywhere else in the world is to you know have a have a look into Latin America, see how these ideas of nationalism, populism, whatever it be at the time, uh, and how that plays out in this in this region. Um, yeah, so to move on to the individual questions uh, directed at uh, each of you. So patients, you've taught women making history in Mexico and Chile while in Aberdeen. Uh, so how has this course appealed to students and promoted a wider understanding of Latin America for undergraduates?
3: I assess that course in part by having students make arpelleras, which are fabric textile murals um, showing traditionally they um, they originated in Chile in the 1960s and really came into their own in the 70s during the dictatorship of Pinochet when they were used to represent the daily life under the dictatorship including the the trauma of of disappearances and economic hardship um, caused by the dictatorship and um, they were also a way in which Struggling families could make some money, and uh, became a symbol for um, resistance and solidarity during the dictatorship. Um, in any case, I I use them. It's um, my colleague Fiona Clark at Queen's University Belfast is the one who gave me the idea. But I assess that course with RPAs, having students make RPAs, and I think that's one of the things that brings the students to the course because they like. I do a lot of non-traditional assessment, although that's the most the most non-traditional. Um, but they really like engaging with the ideas in a different way and the the process of crafting the process of thinking about how you're going to depict a particular moment or a history through images the process of choosing fabrics the process of sewing and cutting and talking to people about what you're doing it really allows the students to spend time with the research topic and to be with it in a way which writing an essay doesn't. And um, I think it helps them connect to these stories in a way that's profoundly personal and beyond uh, beyond a textbook. You no, know, they, they, they get it that these are real people, these were real people, these are real people, and these stories matter. Um, and so I, I think that that alternative assessment is one of the things, I know it attracts students to the course, but I think it's one of the things that makes the course stand out for students as a way of really spending time with histories of women in Mexico and Chile.
0: Fantastic. It sounds like such an innovative and interesting way to, to attract people. I have seen a, a, a video on YouTube from this. Uh, I'd like to learn it myself. But, um, yeah.
3: Uh, I'm up for offering workshops. It's great. I, I really great. enjoy doing it.
0: Okay, can maybe have you at uh, Dundee attracting some Latin American interest. Um, it's not too far from Aberdeen. Um, so, Jake, uh, you've, taught on, or you've taught a course called Beyond Dictatorship Human Rights in Latin America. So, dicta- dictatorship often attracts the mainstream attention to Latin America. So, how did this course help increase students' understanding of the region beyond the dictatorship?
2: Um, Yeah. So I think uh, in a few ways, uh, fairly similar actually to what what Patience just laid out with with her course as well. Uh, First, I guess in just the the thematic way that the course is structured, uh, we we very much do go through the history of, of military regimes. Um, across Latin America to understand, you know, some of these, these Cold War geopolitics and what was at stake and how these regimes came to power. Um, but also the, the flip side of, of human rights, social movements, and then memory struggles um, also allows us to open it up into not only seeing kind of the personal lived experiences of people who fought against and were repressed by the dictatorships, but also uh, thinking about repression beyond just this kind of Cold War lens. And so we look at uh, indigenous rights and environmental rights Um, and women's rights um, through the modern day. So that really kind of the aim of the course is to get students to think, you know, what does the, you know, Pinochet dictatorship in Chile have to do with the oppression of, you know, women working in maquiladoras on the US-Mexico border, right? Like, what are the themes there for thinking about not just Latin America, but Latin America and the world and particularly in larger geopolitics. And similar to what Patience does, I think uh, this class has some very exciting kind of non-traditional assessment where the, the final essay is to analyze um, a work of testimonial, of testimonial literature. And so at first I get a lot of students be like, well, I, I'm I'm, I'm not an English you know, student. I'm not a literature student. How am I supposed to deal with this text that's basically a memoir? And sometimes I don't know if, if it's being you know, uh, exaggerated or not. I said, aha, well, that's the point. And so we really dive into not only kind of sources and, and the genre that we normally associate with studying history, um, but really, really get into the, the nitty gritty of, of an individual's life, um, who's you know, understanding what was happening in these periods of dictatorship, both. You know, during the Cold War and and more contemporary examples of testimonial.
0: And uh, how do you fit your specialism on Brazil into this uh, Latin American focus? Often, that people um, think in Spain, like the Spanish speaking areas.
2: Yeah, I, I I think that's been helpful. I also teach a class just on the history of Brazil, um, which which enrolled at full capacity, which I was excited about because I, I wasn't sure that it would. Um, I think to the extent that students in the UK do take uh, Spanish, um, you know, as A-levels or, have you know, studied abroad somewhere other in Spain um, or visited Latin America, that's about the extent of it. Not so many of any prior experience um, with Brazil, again, everyone knows about football. And so that's, you know, a foot in the door. Um, but uh, it seemed like, you know, there's a lot of interest in in adding to that. And again, it's a thing where, know brazil gets an outsized bit of attention because it's you know it's population it's the largest economy um but why do we think about you know brazil and then as rest of latin america you know there's the culture and the language aspect but uh you know also in the class i actually push back against brazilian exceptionalism saying well okay we're taking a whole class just on this one country but let's actually look at how this country is working in relation with uh with its neighbors across the region great it sounds like a a well-rounded approach to brazilian history julie
0: you specialise in Guatemala, a country which many people in Scotland might not be aware of. Um, often in Latin American studies, Brazil occupied the curriculum. So, how do you include and promote Guatemala in your teaching, and why does it matter to focus on these countries that are uh, more peripheral in our research or well in curriculums?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, in many respects, uh, Guatemalan history, you know, it's a small country, maybe people haven't heard of it, but it still occupies a fairly large space within um, Latin American historiography. So it's not really marginal <laughs> within the historiography um, in, in many respects. Um, And, you know, my teaching within Latin American history um, so far is fairly limited because in my first year, I didn't to teach Latin American history as a new colleague um and so this last past year was my first year teaching actually with my own courses um and it was in the middle of COVID (laughs) so in in some respects I feel like the experience is somewhat limited and what I did with um my course uh, which is um, Indigenous Peoples and Revolution in Latin America class was I taught it in a comparative frame. So, we had a unit on Mexico, we had a unit on Guatemala, and we had a unit on Chile, comparing and contrasting various experiences of like three very distinct kinds of revolutions and revolutionary experiences, and three very different kinds of indigenous movements that surged through those. Um, In the middle, you know, teaching that online, um, fully online, was, I think, maybe more challenging for students than... Had it been like um, actually more in person. And so this year I decided, given the context of COVID and the likelihood that we would still be on that I'm actually for the first time in my life, <laughs> teaching it just on Guatemala, um, just to give them a bit more sort of context and narrative to understand the region. And so Um, Yeah, so we'll actually um, have a whole semester um, just on Guatemala, um, mainly 20th century. And I think it'll be really interesting because it'll allow the students to explore a lot more sources and to do a lot more things that are a bit more in depth. And again, always like everything. It's about putting it in a broader context and, and placing it within um, broader themes that are going to have meaning to the students and allow them to see why Guatemalan history um, is, is sort of important um, for, for analyzing and and like my colleagues, I'm thinking about um, some sort of innovative types of assessment methodologies. They'll be more based on um, yeah, like testimonials and, and oral histories that have been recorded and are available in translation. So um yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a fun semester and we'll see. Maybe I will never go back to teaching it in a comparative perspective. Um and, and you know, for other courses I tend to, um, you know, there'll be some Guatemalan stuff often but um, I I do consider myself much more of a Latin Americanist Um, and even you know increasingly as an Indigenous like a history of the Americas perspective and so um, some of my courses like I teach a narrating Native histories course that is you know like Indigenous histories from all over Um, so um, not just Latin America so yeah.
0: Fantastic I mean probably one of the only universities in the United Kingdom that has a course on Guatemalan history. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's uh that's great so moving on to uh again a question that's directed to everyone so how do we improve the engagement in scotland and the rest of the uk with latin america and its history uh and we'll just pick up where we left off if julie you could start us off um
1: yeah i i think that you know we what we're really offering is a widening of the curriculum, right? Um, that is, you know, can be part, seen as part of a larger decolonizing of the curriculum and and turning students on to thinking about people and places that are um, maybe more distant from them in some respects, but offer them a lot um, in others. Um, and so, you know, I think that that that, um, you know, and as other people have raised, it's also about growing awareness of, of our cultural assumptions um, and, and how the, the things that we kind of glean from popular culture c- can not only distort um, the historical processes, but sometimes are themselves problematic, right? And I think that once you begin to understand how we can fall, it's easy to fall into um, those those assumptions and stereotypes. Then it's easier to see them in other ways, too, in other places and times. Um, so, yeah, I also think that the Latin American um, field offers a lot in terms of thinking about innovative methodologies. Um, in terms of collaborative research with Indigenous communities, in terms of its long history of testimonial, in terms of the importance that it's often placed on oral histories. And because of the nature of archival research in the region as well, also just the realities of of wanting to and needing to read archives differently. Um, And so I think that, you know, the incorporation of Latin American history into the broader curriculum is offering quite a lot, um, both in terms of student training, as well as like knowledge and engagement um, um, with the world,
0: so. And Jake, do you have anything you'd like to add to
2: that? Uh, Yeah, I think as you know, more of us start uh, making, you know, helping make Scotland uh, a really interesting place to study Latin America, there's just gonna be more momentum for us to do work uh, beyond the university campuses as well. Um, and uh, the longer that we're here and, and can really set anchor and start engaging with communities. Um, One of the many things that uh, was bad about COVID was, you know, I had been uh, starting some conversations with one of my colleagues in the history department, Adam Budd, who runs something called history for schools and has been doing some really terrific work to get uh, university faculty and students um, into Edinburgh Uh, schools, uh, secondary schools, and we were going to start introducing some Latin American modules. um, And that's been put on the back burner. So those those types of things that just as we have more, you know, I don't want to say as we have more expertise because there have been Latin Americans in Scotland for a really long time. You know, one of the, the fun facts that I learned when I moved to Edinburgh is there used to be a Chilean film festival in Edinburgh, as in there were so many Chileans, most of whom had been exiles during the dictatorship in Edinburgh, in the wider Edinburgh region, that there was a dedicated Chilean film festival, right? That, that fact alone just boggles my mind, right? So it's then on us to help you know, keep those links alive. And I'll just say also, when the documentary Night Passaran came out, that did more for us than we could have ever done in a lifetime of teaching, right? To, to get the Scottish public to know about Latin America, to think about you know, political struggles and global solidarity, and you know, also, without waiting too deep into current politics, right, Scotland's a particularly interesting place to study independence movements and, you know, thinking about longer histories of, of nationhood and, you know, and, and identity, where at least those, some of the conversations that I've had with students, my Scottish students, rather than my English students, of why they're interested in taking my courses has to do with contemporary politics also. So I think there's a long uh, list of ways that, that we can hopefully keep growing some of, you know, these engagement forums um, and, you know, Shown the links
0: uh that, that Julie just laid out so well. Yeah, I mean when I was in school in, in Edinburgh, uh, I had no idea what Latin America was. There were history sc- courses really just covered Scotland and Britain. Uh, I mean I thought Nicaragua was in Africa when I first heard of it. Uh, and it wasn't until you know I started to explore the region in my adult life. Um, so yeah, that'd be great to to have more, more engagement in school. So patience. Uh, How do you feel we can improve the Latin American studies in the UK and Scotland specifically?
3: Um, I, I i agree with what um, jake and julie were saying about about their ideas and that initiative of getting into school sounds fantastic but you know I, I agree as well about the way in which latin america really fits with these narratives of decolonizing and thinking about our conceptual frameworks and looking at historical connections and the resonances for good or ill that they still have and one of the things i've been doing since i arrived at aberdeen i as a, as a Latin Americanist in the UK, I always do feel, and as a person from the United States in the UK, I always feel slightly misplaced. Um, and I try and use that to my advantage by trying to develop more of a sense of place, working with what's around me. So since I arrived at the University of Aberdeen, I've been getting to know the museum collections that we have on Latin America, and that's resulted in one, exhibition, and I'm trying to remember, I think it was 2017, I should know that. Um, in any case, we had an exhibition called Aberdonians in the Americas, um, and we looked at individuals from the region who had a connection, almost all of them had a connection to the university, bar one, who had traveled to Latin America, worked in Latin America, uh, sent materials back, um, and so we were looking at the different roles that People from Aberdeen had played in the Americas, um, again for good or for ill, and and trying to get some of those stories out into the the public discussion to recognise that there are historical links between um, Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire, and and Latin America, and and so that that was one thing I've been doing, and we do have a really good Latin America collection, so there's. There's plenty more that can be done there. And then I I mentioned the art billetes that my students have made. And the art billetes they made were so amazing. I approached the museum and said, could we do an exhibition of these? And they said, yes. So for the past, because of COVID, it became a never-ending exhibition. Um, It opened in October 2019, if I'm remembering correctly. And then it was extended um, it was extended for non-COVID reasons and then extended, obviously, for COVID reasons, but, you know, the, getting the Arpilleras into the, um, the exhibition space on the ground floor of the Sir Duncan Rice Library in Aberdeen, which is public space, opens up stories, not just about Chile, not just about the dictatorship, and the history of years but the specific stories the students were telling, whether it's about um, work in maquilas, whether it's about the uh, atrocious rates of femicide in Mexico, whether it's about um, agrarian reform um, in both countries, you know, all these different stories that the Arbilleres were telling. Um, and and bringing that to uh, a, a local public and and the visitors seemed really intrigued by what they learned and the students were so excited to have their um, their professionally displayed.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of uh, growing the local connection to these places. Um, you know, many Scottish people were in Latin America uh, doing good and bad things um, throughout history. So yes uh, I'd love to see more of that in where I'm from in Edinburgh and uh, the rest of the country. Uh, so just a final question is really related to your research? So how are you finding doing research on Latin America while based in uh, a university in Scotland and start with patients lot well?
3: um. It can be very challenging, obviously, because we're, we're we're far away, and of course, COVID has made everything far away. There were points when you know Edinburgh seemed far away. Um, so it's I think it our our relationship with distance has become much more what our historical subjects might have understood. So those of us who who study the pre jet era, let's call it. Um, so that that's a challenge but um i do my best to maintain links with colleagues in latin america and and work with colleagues in latin america and um you know, when I when I'm able to go to Latin America, try and take lots of pictures. So I have material to be working on, but something like the Carreño project that I'm working on now, because it's there's a strong historical element, but I'm also really interested in how this etiquette guide continues to have resonance today. So one of the things that I'm working on is putting together um, a website that will have a database which people can contribute to, they'll be able to contribute their own um, experiences of Carreño. So I think Partially for me, it's thinking about ways to be a little bit more creative and um, kind of think, think beyond the I need to get on a plane and go to an archive and take lots of photocopies or pictures and come back. Think about kind of different ways of engaging with um, research topics and designing projects and and coming at things from a slightly different angle.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jake, you're working on two book projects at the moment. Uh, so how are you finding that while being
2: based in scotland um yeah so so being based in scotland uh has its difficulties as patients just said uh you know especially we have a lot of colleagues who you know research trip for them means going to the national library of scotland two blocks away at lunch and doing archival work so uh distance is relative and research access is relative and it is relative how much the uh, allocated amount that of money that we have per each year goes whether you study latin america or britain let alone mainland europe so Snarkiness aside, um, you know, I think the, the question of, of access to place this last year and a half has forced a lot of us into some really, um, you know, important reflections. Not only for our own personal research, but you know what it means for our colleagues in Latin America who have even fewer resources and can't go to their own archives, you know, let, let alone us jet setting uh, across oceans to do that. Um, and so one of the ways that, you know, I my, the third project that I'm working on now, it's a, it's a COVID project, it's a biography of a former political prisoner in Brazil that I've known for a decade, um, and had always thought would be a great uh, subject to, to write a book on, but it wasn't until kind of the early moments of the pandemic when I was just sitting at home, like everyone was feeling totally useless and unconnected from the world. That I had this idea that I would pitch, you know, this guy that I've known for a decade, he's been helpful for previous research, who's now, you know, 80, um, and said, hey, I want to write a life history of you. And he said, okay. And so then we did basically, you know, a Zoom oral history every week for about seven months um and so that's that's the base of the book that i'm writing it's not exclusively i was actually able to get down to brazil briefly this last year and uh, also just using incredible digital resources that had to do you know during the brazil's national truth commission about seven years ago it digitized more or less the, the entire corpus of you know declassified documents relating to the dictatorship so i've had this this wealth of, of resources both in terms of oral history, interviewing him. We have over 40 hours of research. I also then you know interviewed dozens and dozens of people in his family and you know colleagues that he had worked with, militants in the 60s, human rights activists more recently. Um, and so that has given me you know, the opportunity to, to do something that I would have liked to do but hadn't you know had the impetus. And also again that's couched in you know layers and layers of privilege where I've been on research leave for the last year and a half on an external fellowship. Um, so so the time to start new projects um, during COVID is uh you know again the, the just an, an absurd privilege but again this was something that i wouldn't have catalyzed towards without kind of this this external kick in the butt to all of us
0: okay um i mean to do those weekly conversations is also a great way to maintain portuguese which i've certainly found difficult during uh, COVID. i used to, go to every Monday uh, to keep my Portuguese on the go, but can't really do that now. So, yeah. Uh, Julie, how about yourself? How is research going in
2: Scotland?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like other what people have said, um, you know, in in many ways, um, you know, the UK has a great has great funding available for research um, that you can apply for. Of course, it's competitive. And of course, all of those things. Um, but having come from a Canadian and a U.S. context, I would say you know we we do have sources resources available to us to do research, um, and so that is is fantastic. I think the major thing for me has been um, the COVID factor <laughs> that has kind of put things on um, on on slowdown um, in a serious way um, because I'm unable to access archives either within the United States, which you know were opened briefly um and have closed once again and and in guatemala as well um you know it's not really been possible to return to to guatemala to do research so even though i have research money sitting and waiting for me <laughs> you know the contacts around it are have been difficult and of course there are um some digitized records available But certainly I think it forces us all to say, um, you know, how are we going to get back to doing this kind of work, particularly in countries um, like Guatemala or elsewhere, most of Latin America, where the vaccine rollouts have been um, slower um, and the population is, is vulnerable and hospitals are full and so, um, it's really hard to know how um, all of this will shape out. And like Jake, I'm kind of now at the point of like saying, all right, so <laughs> how do I go about continuing on, um, you know, doing other kinds of research and, and including like thinking about, um, you know, there has been some. Um, British uh, schemes, colonization schemes in Central America in the 19th century that I would actually have a fair amount of research already collected from the Guatemalan archives, but I can always go down to the queue, um, which is amazing, by the way, (laughs) for those of us who have worked elsewhere in the world. um, It's kind of, so to do something, uh, you know, around, around like other, other ways of, of continuing the research for the time being. I think in normal times, um, you know, Latin America isn't quite so far away, but it does feel that at the at the present moment and, and so I think it is an important time to kind of think about how we support our Latin American colleagues um, and allies and friends um, and also, you know, how we can continue to do research that's meaningful. I mean, I definitely think that that's
0: something that's on a lot of people's minds at the moment. Well, hopefully uh, the situation improves soon enough. Um, But yeah, I'm going to conclude there. So again, thanks to each of you for taking time to share your personal stories with us. I hope it's been an opportunity to reflect upon your time and work here in Scotland. Moreover, I hope the audience has found it useful to appreciate pedagogy and the importance of studying Latin America across the world. If you're interested in the ongoing graduate research from this region, please browse our blog on our website. Thank you.